0: You're listening to Radio Free Holesdale, 101.7 FM. I'm Josh Barker, and joining me is State Representative Andrew Fink, who represents Michigan State House District 35, which is Holesdale and Branch Counties. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me on, Josh, and do not forget the City of Hudson and Runaway County, too.
0: Of course, yes, the redistricting, got to have that updated. I'm going to start today talking about fiscal matters. The federal level, we're talking about the debt ceiling, liquidation of Social Security and Medicare trust funds. In a decade or so, $31 trillion in debt, it's quite a mess state of Michigan is <laughs> doing quite well, actually, especially when compared to our federal government uh, and even the fiscal state of many other uh, U.S. states. Last week, the Consensus Revenue Estimating Conference, which is part of the House fiscal agency in the state, announced that it projected a $9.2 billion surplus in the state budget. That's uh, $9.2 billion extra from what we've allocated or budgeted, um, and that's great. <laughs> We're definitely not seeing at the federal level, uh, especially in light of the extra spending that we've had in the past year here. Um, most Michiganders probably hear that and think, oh, well, you know, that's great in theory, but that doesn't really impact me. But actually, thanks to a 2015 bill, it might, assuming nothing changes. Um, under that current law, the state income tax right now is four and a quarter percent, that's 4.25%. Uh, the surplus would automatically trigger a reduction down to 4.05%, so a two-tenths of a percent difference. Uh, which, if it happens, that's money in people's pockets—an automatic tax cut. Um, so nothing—if nothing changes, nothing's done—that will happen. Uh, Representative, think let's let's talk about that. What do you think first is about how well our state is doing financially, especially with you know recovering from COVID? People are kind of surprised that we're ha- seeing surpluses like this. Um, and do you think people will end up getting to see this tax cut?
1: Well, I, let's talk about that second piece in just a second. But in terms of like the how we got here, um, I mean, the inflation that, that has affected every other part of the economy is part of the story. So uh, when prices go up, sales tax, go, you know, 6% of the, of the price is a larger amount of money. And so you get and, you know, think about that in every other context, too. Home values have jumped and all of that. So all of these different forms of taxation have increased as well but the you know the sad story is i was reading some uh, online magazine or something this morning that suggested that the increase in cash that people have is about half of the inflationary increase in what sort of life is costing right now so the people are getting poorer even as the numbers are getting higher and so the value to the citizens of this uh, you know it, so it's, it'd go from about 4 and a quarter 4.25 to 4.05 so that's only two tenths of a percentage, but it's about—it's a little less than I think it's about four and a half percent of the overall tax itself, um, and that would be like yeah, you know, about actually the difference between the rate of inflation of the cost of living and the rate of inflation of the uh, incomes that people are making, if that makes sense. So, as life has gotten like sort of ten percent more expensive against inflation, um, if you were to cut that in half, that you know that would actually make a difference to people. So it's certainly my intention to support, uh, not to argue against increasing that tax, um, assuming that things do kind of come together the way uh, the way we expect them to here with the uh, state revenues. Um, You know, right now we're projecting that the tax would automatically roll back. Um, I do think that the administration will try to avoid that if they can, because uh, it appears that the governor would prefer. I mean, we kind of know this from previous attempts to cut the income tax rate. She, she would prefer uh, individual groups, different groups getting tax relief of different kinds rather than a broad-based tax cut. Uh, but this is, I think... The best way to actually uh, treat the citizens fairly and reduce their tax burden is to just cut the the actual tax rate itself. And so, in my opinion, this is this is a great i mean it's it's, it's a great win for the people of the state of Michigan that in 2015, when the gas tax got adjusted, they put this in there, um, and I'm hoping to see it stay in place, and we'll certainly be arguing for that.
0: What do you think is the likelihood that it will stay in place? Because there's been murmuring, but and. I, Every news story I've seen where they've interviewed leaders in the House and Senate on the Democrat side, uh, they're saying, well, we'll look at it, we'll see nothing committal about either either way, we're definitely going to repeal it, we're definitely going to, or try to repeal it at least, or we're definitely going to keep it. What do you think the hesitancy is, is there in, in really even having... A position or, or saying, Well, we're just going to revamp this altogether and go back to progressive income tax because, of course, we got flat tax yes. altogether. And from some of the governor's comments, at least in the past year, it seems like she would prefer some of that. Say, Oh, yeah, well, the average Michigander can get the 4% income tax, but let's give everyone else, you know, who's in our top brackets, maybe, or our top percentiles of income earners yeah. charge them five percent or something
1: i think that that is what you'd like to do so that's why i mean for instance there's the earned income tax credit which has support on both sides of the aisle and you know some of the uh what you might call reform conservatives um have some sympathy for for projects like the earned income tax credit um that that at least fits the governor's agenda more so she's Interested in in uh, in that more than again reducing the overall rate for everybody, um, and so whether it's increasing the rate itself or just finding. Other ways to make the, the tax code, from her perspective, more progressive. Yeah, I think that is probably what she would try to do. I just think economically, if you can actually reduce your income tax rate, I mean, think about the states that are growing right now. I mean, I'm sure I've ranted at you about this before, but you know, Michigan's population is essentially stagnant and has been against the national population for more than four decades, but let's just start from in 1980. In 1980, our state population is 9.2 million. Today, it's probably a hair under 10 million, or maybe it's a hair over 10 million, but it's right around that number. Uh, So that's growth of less than 10%, while the country has grown by about 50% since that time. So we've shrunk by that measure by 40% compared with the rest of the country. Um, And the political ramifications of this are obvious if you just think about our number of seats in Congress. We went from, I don't know, 19 or something seats in 1980 uh, to 13 now. So you that's again about a third of the of the political power a little less maybe than a third of the political power that the state had uh, compared with the rest of the country uh, going away so if you look at what states are gaining those people instead of us they tend to have lower taxes they tend to have uh, more sensible energy regulation including energy prices um, and they tend to have uh, policies like right to work lower regulatory burdens and so what we're seeing right now is a governor that um, has presided over a population loss, which is unusual. It's unusual. Any, any, any state in the country. And I think uh, fairly close to unique to Michigan among states that aren't hit with massive hurricanes. So Louisiana lost population in the aughts, but it's explicable by the fact that they're in, you know, their largest city was, you know, half underwater. So they're going to lose people. So without going through something like that, Michigan continues to sort of be swimming upstream. And, you know, I've, I've, advocated on this show I know many times and certainly in other, other fora as well that if we don't make aggressive changes to make it a, a place where people can't help but want to live and work and build a business, um, then we're going to continue to shrink. And so if we're talking about raising the income tax rate back up when it's when it's according to our revenues ready to go down, we're talking about making its place less attractive as a place to move to um, and raise a family you know, these are the calculations that people are going to make. I'm very concerned that that the majority will try to raise the income tax back to four and a quarter Uh, and if they do that then you know they're going to have to own that fact the reason that I think there might be some hesitancy is I think they would like to replace the revenue that way and go about any tax relief in other ways the difficulty is you know they only have a one seat majority in each chamber and so which one of their members uh, who does not want to vote for an actual tax, tax increase raising a rate you know which one's going to have to take that I mean they they would all have to take the hit essentially because I doubt that there are any members in my own caucus uh, who want to vote to raise the income tax rate uh, so or at least certainly not without it being a part of a larger tax reform that overall benefits the citizens of the state in some way you know it's in in terms of how much they're having to pay so uh, that's I think the dilemma that they're up against is they would have to do it all themselves and uh, and it's unattractive at the same time I think they want the money to spend.
0: You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. I'm Josh Barker, and we have Representative Andrew Fink with us. Uh, we're talking about making Michigan more attractive for businesses. While the governor is trying to do that, uh, Ford Motor Company uh, is working to establish a joint venture with Contemporary Amperex Technology, a Chinese firm, to build a multi-billion dollar battery plant. Uh, they're looking at several sites, including in Virginia and here in the state of Michigan. Uh, they're trying to get some tax credits from the Inflation Reduction Act, which passed last year from Congress. Um, it was early this month that Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin put the project to a halt there because of the connection to the Chinese company. Governor Whitmer, at the same time, uh, openly attacked Youngkin's decision and said that she welcomes the, uh, quote, exciting opportunity. Uh, he, this is from the Detroit Free Press. The governor is quoted as saying, quote, we're focused on jobs for Michiganders and securing the future of mobility is built by Michigan by Michiganders. We are proud that Ford is an American company. Ford is a Michigan company. We are going to compete for every opportunity for the state of Michigan. Lots of references to Michigan there. Um, <laughs> every time opportunity, she says it's a lot, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of jobs. Um, but some Republicans in the state house and you're one of them, uh, are not so happy. Uh, tell us about what's going on there. What's the deal with that?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you're right. The governor did, uh, criticize governor Youngkin. Um, and I put out a, a, a statement in support of Governor Youngkin. I mean, think she said that it was a political decision. And I think that's exactly right, because the alternate political party here is the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, so to say that, th- that we made a political judgment, meaning like the government is going to arrange its affairs such that we aren't subsidizing companies subject to the control of the Chinese Communist Party. I think that's a perfectly accurate way to put it. And I think it's perfectly right. I think she thought that she was getting a dig in by saying that Governor Yunkin was making a political decision not to cooperate with the Chinese government. And I guess, yeah, that's a political statement. And it's one that every American politician should make until the Chinese government is reformed I and mean, until it, until it is not hostile to its own citizens and its neighboring countries. And ultimately, you know, until it's an honest broker, why wouldn't we oppose the Chinese government ultimately controlling dollars uh, that were you know raised from taxes in the united states it it, it, it's an obvious uh decision to me and so the bottom line is like all right so ford's a michigan company and she wants to to give some kind of subsidies to ford to get them to build uh, batteries in michigan if that's your plan and i'm not saying it's the best plan but let's if that's your plan uh you have many alternatives to a company that is subject to the control of the chinese government uh, which is subject to the control of the Chinese Communist Party. So, uh, it, it, to me, it's an obvious uh, it's an obvious move to make away from that arrangement, and it's it doesn't really cost the people anything. Again, even if you're going to pursue the exact same incentive program, you don't have to give the incentives to a company that is loyal to a different government and a hostile government.
0: Do you have any insight into why Ford? had chosen this company because that was something this whole story because it date ba- dates back, I believe to June of last year when Ford initially made the announcement, they're looking all over the place and then narrowed it down in December to here in Virginia. But I mean, cause this is in part their, their call to say we're, we're willing to go into this with this Chinese company. There's a Bloomberg opinion piece. I, maybe a week ago where they're talking about, well, the Chinese have all this technology and things that American companies haven't done so well with EV batteries, particularly, um, and I mean, let's be really. EV batteries are not doing too great as far as your range and all of that. Tesla's made some strides there, but you know, Chevy Volt—they are supposed to be top of the line, and yet you can't get very far there, especially with how, how many chargers you have. Do you think? Do you think that there's there's potentially some benefits there that that the that Ford would be getting that. We're, we're, we're admittedly missing out on some potential upside by abandoning the Chinese, or do you think there's, there's just no upside here for anybody?
1: I mean, the bottom line is that I can't, I, don't, I haven't spoken to anybody at Ford about it. I don't know what they would think. I mean, you know, it I would, I would like them to take these concerns I have about, uh, about Chinese corporations. I mean, a friend of mine likes to, the, uh, the way a friend of mine likes to put it is there's no such thing as a truly private company in Florida or in Florida. In China, and so uh, uh, that's kind of my concern: is that is that um, a Chinese corporation is ultimately responsible to the to the Communist Party? There, I don't think that Ford is obligated to have the exact same set of concerns that that a, a government official is. And so, um, I guess I would hope that they would take this seriously, but uh, you know, their own profit being a larger driver of their calculations. You know, is they at least have that pressure in a way that, that I don't. So I, I don't really mean to to jump all over Ford about it themselves, um, although, you know, I would hope that they would be taking this seriously. Um, and it might be, look, I really don't know. I mean, it might be that this is the most, you know, efficient way to get whatever technology delivered that they want to get delivered. Uh, but that's a short-term I think that's a short-term perspective that, again, I guess a private company can take if they want to. But I just don't think that's uh, the way that the people of the state and the public servants of the state can look at it. Taking a longer view, I just don't see cooperation or partnership with a with a company subject to CCP control as a realistic uh, path. Um, and so, that I mean, that's that's where my concern in this comes from.
0: You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We have Representative Fink with us. So we're talking about battery manufacturing plants and another somewhat tangentially related topic is the state right to work laws, which are currently uh, in jeopardy. Some Michigan Democrats have not been fans of these laws since they were passed by Republicans in years gone by. Uh, they limit influence of unions. That is, uh, the right to work means that nobody uh, in a company that's unionized can be forced to join the union or pay union dues or the equivalent. There's two bills in the state house. uh House Bill 4004 and 4005 that seek to repeal right to work uh, in regular corporations, uh, another bill to limit right to work for public entities. Um, This has been something that has been discussed on the campaign trail and certainly in the lead up to this session, people have said this is probably going to be their first uh, line of attack uh, or their first big policy issue that they would seek to uh, have changes on what do you see for the upcoming weeks and uh, right to work? Do you think that these bills are going to pass or that we're going to see substantial changes in this area? I haven't
1: been privy to any of the conversations that the majority has had on these things. So, you know, whether they're going to have problems in their own caucus and moving the bills, whether they'll feel the need to make adjustments on them, you know, I don't, I, I really, I don't know what they're going to say about that. What I do know is that there's been a study, I think the Mackinac Center either did the study or, or reported on it in the last couple of weeks about uh, border communities and where there's a right to work state on one side of a border and a non-right to work state on the other side of the border. You can you can sort of see measurable results in terms of where people are uh, investing to create jobs. And if, if uh, we repeal right to work here in Michigan, I fully expect Northeast Indiana to be a beneficiary from that. You know, the, the, that will be, then be the only right-to-work state in this kind of little tri-state area that we're in. Yeah. Hillsdale County is the, the tri-state county of, uh, of Michigan. Um, and Indiana will be the only right-to-work state. And I think that what you'll see is that uh, a company that doesn't have any other reason to care whether its business is located in Angola or Coldwater um, or, in, or in Fort Wayne or Kalamazoo, you know, anywhere kind of along this corridor, uh, the, the the benefit of being a non-right-to-work state or of being a right to work state and not being, uh, not having forced union membership, um, will, will be a difference maker for them. So, um, I think it's just another one of these areas where the state will be choosing to be less competitive if that's the direction that the majority decides to go. Um, I also think, you know, it's, uh, this is a, this is sort of a, um, a background observation that could apply in other areas too, but you know, so we just switched from being non right to work to right to work about a decade ago. And if the first thing that happens when the political control changes from unified Republican control in 2012, uh, 12, when this happened to unified Democrat control in 2023, when they're talking about repealing it, you know, how many yo-yos are we going to be uh, rolling and unrolling here? I, I am I'm, I'm hopeful uh, that the majority will realize that, uh, the destabilizing effect on the economy of flipping everything back and forth isn't a great plan. Um, and so I would hope that an issue this important, uh, they, they realize over the course of, you know, the next few weeks as they're beginning to kind of try to move these bills, um, that being more considerate about it might be fruitful. I mean, that's kind of a process point, And as you and I were just joking a little while ago, people, people sometimes kind of roll their eyes when you're talking about process. But, you know, a lot of our constitutional system is about process you know, having two chambers of the legislature and having um, the governor have veto power and having the courts uh, set up the way they are and all of these things are in order to ensure that the process that we follow tends towards good results that make us all more prosperous, safer, uh, and, and all of that. And so I think that, that kind of jumping right away into, re- you know, let's reverse everything the Republicans did. You know that's just not really a good way to go about your business uh, in a, in a kind of a neutral sense. And I would be saying the same thing if Republicans were newly in power for the first time. I would be, I, w- I would be, you know, kind of cautioning some amount of modesty and how much we're trying to change the day you get there. Because uh, even if at the end of the day you need to make some changes, you know, doing it thoughtfully uh, and considerately is still important.
0: Well, and one one other thing that I. I've seen raised is certainly about the Supreme Court opinions on right to work, and particularly the Janus opinion back in 2018, where the court ruled that when it comes to public entities, if you're a government entity, uh, you can't require union membership, was essentially what the court ruled in that case. And it would seem that at least that side of these bills would be going astray from some of that. and Maybe Michigan Democrats are hoping to challenge the court, though I don't know what makes them think they're going to get a favorable outcome now that membership has changed. It was a 5-4 decision at the time, but we didn't have, uh, at the time, Justice Kavanaugh or Barrett on the court, which perhaps could even further make this a 6 or 7 decision.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. And it it, essentially, that's a free speech issue where if you're working for the government and the government makes a deal with a union that requires you to be a part of the union and then the union speaks, essentially a condition of your government employment is uh, coerced speech. And so that's that's kind of the reason behind that. That case is called the Janus case. Um, I don't know what the idea about getting around that is here. Um, I, you know, I think our perspective is that as a constitutional matter, forced union membership for government jobs is a dead letter. Um, So absent a development of the argument that I don't foresee, I don't really see where that's going to go either. Uh, But you can certainly see why that's different. I mean, if if a private company wants to make a deal with the union um, and wants to make that deal uh, include all of the employees. There are public policy reasons to oppose that, and I, I, I'm a right-to-work supporter, but it's it's yet another level uh, to, to make that the government itself. I mean, that's essentially, uh, I think that's essentially the problem there. That The reason that is different is because, at that point, a condition of your government employment would be associating with another group which sort of violates both your speech and association rights
0: you're listening to radio free hillsdale 101.7 fm this has been josh barker with representative fink uh that's all the time we have for today but the 102nd legislature in michigan has only just begun in january of 23 uh, and so we anticipate many more conversations hope you'll tune in next time
1: thanks josh